Good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading is from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. So feel free to follow along in the bulletin or on your phone or in an actual Bible. Starting with verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, so isn't it great to get into the Old Testament together? Uh, some of you love the Old Testament. You've read it. You've experienced it. Others of you, like this is your first time to dig into it, and it may seem a little bit like a mystery to you. And so with today's sermon, my hope is that you will uh, have this passage, this very important, this very famous passage, be second nature to you and familiar to you. Let me ask you a question. What do you think is the greatest threat to the church today? What is the greatest threat to the church today? And after studying this passage, I had kind of an idea on that. The other day I asked Molly, I said, Molly, what do you think is the greatest threat to the church? Her first answer was, and I think she was, it was kind of like just, well, it was a good answer, but she was saying, uh, I think the greatest threat is materialism. And I thought, that's pretty good. Well, but I'm not asking about like the church in America, like all across. What's the greatest threat to Lake Baldwin Church? What is the greatest threat to the individual people of Lake Baldwin Church? Because some of you are having, you know, you're living your best life now. Others of you are really struggling. Others of you are going through issues. You're going through challenges. So what is the greatest threat to Lake Baldwin Church and to the people of the church? And we could, we could list a lot of things. We could list Materialism, as Molly said, idolatry, a resurgence of Phariseeism, uh, all kinds of isms. And, and you could talk about the secular, secularization 
of our culture and the changes all around us. You could identify a lot of threats, but what I'd like to do this morning is boil it down to one, to one underlying threat that I would like to propose to you is the greatest threat, not only to our church, but the greatest threat to your well-being, the greatest threat to your life, and it is this, that we would leave God out of the picture that we would leave God out of the picture. In this story that we just read, Moses raises, begins to raise five objections to his call from God. So there's a lot of ways that we can relate to Moses. And his first objection, he says, who am I? God has said, I want you to go. I want you to deliver the people. I want you to confront Pharaoh. I want you to lead the people on this exodus out of the slavery of Egypt. And Moses answers by saying, who am I? And what does God say back to him? God says, I will be with you. What was the greatest threat to Moses' life? It was that he would forget God. It would be that he would leave God out of the picture because God has asked him to do something he was reluctant to do, something he doesn't feel qualified to do, and the risk is that he would leave God out of the picture. In the early 1960s, J.B. Phillips wrote a book that I'll never forget. In fact, just the title is challenging. The title of his book was this, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. Now, if you're listening to this message and that you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never become a Christian, obviously, you are uh, leaving God out of the picture. Psalm 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So if you're not yet a believer in Christ, one of the most important things you can do is think about how to bring God back into the picture. There would be nothing better that could happen in your life that you would bring God back into the picture. But if you're a Christian, whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Christian, the risk is that we would go through life, be so buffeted by life, that we would be indicted by J.B. Phillips' book title that could be said of us, your God is too small. And I would not want it to be said of me, of you, of this church, that our God is too small. What happens in this story, and what I love about it, is that as as Moses is called by God, Moses is very honest about his objections. And as he raises each of the upcoming five objections, we'll just look at two today, but five objections... What's good about that is he is honest with God. So whether you're a non-believer or a veteran believer and you don't know what's happening in your life and you don't understand God, one of the best things you can do is ask the questions. Ask really good questions, so ask them because when you do, when you're honest with God, that is when God reveals himself to you and what he's doing in this passage is he is revealing himself to Moses Moses is bringing God back into the picture and he's revealing himself to the people of Israel and you guys, he is revealing himself to us. There is no more important thing that could happen in your life than to have a greater vision of God. So we're gonna look at three things from this passage. 
Just because of Moses' questions, Moses learns three things about God, about this God that's, that's, that appears to him as we read last week in the burning bush. He learns some things about God and we will too. It'll be three things that he will learn. The first is that he is above you. God is above you. The second, he is with you. And the third, he is for you. That's our outline for today. Sounds like a very simple outline, but what we want to do is use that outline, which hopefully will be sticky in your mind even as you leave today, but use that outline to discover some things about what God is like so that we can expand our vision of God. So the first one is that he is above you. In Isaiah, the Bible says that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are God's ways higher than our ways and God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. I think of Psalm 8 verse 1 where the, where, where the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I remember years ago as a young Christian, I thought about the majesty of God. And I was in, in southern Virginia looking at the mountains and seeing these big mountains there, these majestic mountains. And it reminded me of the greatness of God. So that whenever somebody comes into Lake Baldwin Church, one of the first things we hope that they will notice is that we are worshiping a God who is majestic and who is beautiful and who is powerful. He is above you. Now Moses learned that in this passage. We want to look down in Exodus chapter 3 and I want, to look, I want you to look very carefully at verses 14 and 15. These are two verses that just ought to be engraved on our hearts because these are verses where we learn about the nature of God. In fact, in verse 13, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now Moses wants to bring up the name of God. What's he really asking? He's asking, what's the nature of God? What is God like if they ask me what's his name? So then we see the answer in verse 14. God said to Moses, Notice these words, all caps in your, in your Bible there. Look at the words in verse 14. I am who I am. He, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now I want you to remember that, those words, I am. What's going on when God is doing that? If you were to come up to me and ask me my name and, and I would say, well, hey, I am. You think that was a little bit unusual, that was a little bit weird. So what is going on in this passage? Well, in the original Hebrew language in which this passage was written, that is the verb form of the verb to be. And what God is saying to Moses is what I want you to know about me is I am. So what's going on in this passage? Well, there are several things that we would like to as you think about that are indicated by this, this phrase, I am who I am, because this is the self-existent God. He is saying I am. What is he saying by that? The first thing that God is saying is that he is mysterious. God is mysterious. He says I am who I am. There are things about God that we can't understand, that we can't figure it out. 
left to our own devices, if we were trying to understand the nature of the God of the universe, it would be like ants trying to figure out engineering. So there are things that we can't understand about God. There are things that are in the realm of mystery. And so God says, look, I am who I am. In Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may obey all the words of this law. See, God is mysterious, and apart from his revealing of ourself, we would not know him. I am who I am. The second thing that is suggested by this phrase, I am who I am, is that God is self-sufficient. He is self-sufficient. You and I need oxygen, we need food, we need all kinds of things. We are so dependent as creatures, but God is self-sufficient. He has always existed. He always will be existed. I am who I am. He is self-sufficient. He is inexhaustible. If you go back to last week in the early part of Exodus chapter 3, it says that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush that wasn't, wasn't even consumed. I mean, we don't even know how to create energy that lasts like that, but God is self-sufficient. Now, that is really important for you because in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul gets in touch with his weakness before God, and God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in your weakness. You and I are weak. We need a self-sufficient, a self-existing God. He is, he is self-sufficient. There's a third thing that we see. When you think of this phrase, I am who I am, and that's that he is eternal. He is eternal. Psalm 90 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You and I are finite. God is infinite. God is eternal. I am who I am. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternal. And also this passage, I am who I am, he is unchanging. He is always faithful, always true to our character. He is unchanging. Uh, theologians use the word immutable. Micah chapter 3 says, I am the Lord, I change not. He is an unchanging God. So these are wonderful, wonderful things about God. Now I want you to notice, uh, and I want you to remember that phrase, I am who I am. It indicates and tells us a lot about God, but look on at verse 15. It says in verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then he says, this is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. What did he say at the beginning of verse 15? It says, say this, this to the people, the Lord. Now the word Lord there, that is the noun form of the verb, verb to be, and in the Hebrew it is spelled with these four consonants, Y-W-Y-H. Y-W-Y-H, did I get that right? Y-H-W-H. Thank you for an alert listener, first of all, for staying awake during the sermon, so proud of you, Ravi. 
Y-H-W-H. Now, why is that important? Well, every once in a while, you'll hear a preacher <clears throat> refer to God as Yahweh. Now, what's meant by that when somebody says Yahweh? Y-H-W-H, Ravi? How many can say that? Say that with me. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh, God, it is translated the Lord. So in your New International Version, your English Standard Version, it's written in all caps. Whenever you see that, it is the word Lord. It is the covenant God of the people of Israel. And it is the noun form of the verb that we saw in verse 14, I am who I am to be. So it's amazing, amazing self-revelation of God. Now, what is it, how, how does this apply to us? How does this work in real life? I want to tell you a brief story about how we often tend to leave, leave God out of the picture. When our daughter, was, Amy, was in fifth grade, she decided to run for class president, fifth grade class president. And in order to run, she had to give a speech. So uh, she started working on her speech and was just spending hours and hours on this speech. And she was just dancing around and prancing around and worried about her speech and wanting it to go well. And gosh, Molly and I are dying. Our, our fifth grade daughter is going to give this speech and be voted on for class president. And so I was washing dishes that night. Amy was dancing around, just, just worried about her speech. And I said, Amy, I saw a golden opportunity as a dad. I said, Amy... Think about this, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge me and I will make your paths straight. And Amy goes, that is so great. So she takes that verse, we even got her a speech coach to spend time with her. We didn't pay, we didn't hire a speech coach, a friend said I'll help her out. So she got her talk already, she gave her talk the next day. So when I got home at five o'clock, what did I see walking into the house? But my daughter, Amy, my fifth grade daughter, crawled up in a fetal position on my wife's lap, weeping about how her day went and how she wasn't elected to be the class president for the fifth grade. And I'll never forget, Amy looked at me through her tears and she said, Dad, you said that if I trust in the Lord with all my heart, he'll make my path straight. And I did that, and I didn't get to be, I wasn't elected. And then she said these blood-curdling words to me. She said, Dad, I will never trust God again. Well, that kind of became a teachable moment, because isn't it true in life that there are things that don't go our way, that there are things where we have to trust God even if it didn't go the way we wanted? Aren't there times in life when we realize that we're not in control? Aren't there times in life when we don't get our way, when we don't get elected, when we don't get what we ask for? Aren't there times when we do that? And for our daughter Amy, it was a valuable lesson about not leaving God out of the picture and expanding her view of God. So I am who I am. He is above us. Let's go on to the second, the second thing that we learn about the Lord in this passage. Not only is he above you, but he is with you. He is with you. This is so important. Now you'll notice back, look back at verse, verse 10. This is back to the call of Moses. We looked at verses 1 through 9 last week, but look at what it says in verse 10. 
It says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, no wonder Moses didn't want to do it. Why would he, why what was going on in Moses' heart at that point? Well, he had already failed before when he tried to do something for the people of, of, of Israel. So he was focused on his past failure, his present his inadequacy, and his future uncertainty. So no wonder Moses would ask, how is this going to happen? And God's giving him this Mission Impossible. It is the beginning of a Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise, and God is saying to him, your mission, should you choose to accept it, although God's not going to allow him to not accept it, but your mission is this, and Moses is afraid. And what does God say to him in the very next verse? He says, when Moses says in verse 11, who am I, God answers him, I will be with you. So the Lord is above us, but he is also with us, and that is his promise to Moses. And there are times, there are times in our lives when God is going to ask us to do something that we are reluctant to do, that we are inadequate to do, where we might look back and say, there was a time in my life when I took a risk for God and I was hurt and I was disappointed. And you might look back at your past and said, I had a hard experience at another church. I had a difficulty, I was rejected or whatever it might be. And so you're reluctant to take that step of faith. Or you might feel, I am, I, who am I? I'm inadequate, somebody else ought to do it, or you might look to that future and God says, I'm going to ask you to lead Israel out of the promised land, or I'm going to ask you to serve and splash, or I'm going to ask you to do this or to do that, and, and you're going to say, I can't do it. The Lord is going to say, I am with you. Tomorrow, I'm going to have a chance to meet uh, a guy by the name of Heath Zuniga. Now, you, you don't know who he is. No problem with that. He and his wife, Emily, are moving here this summer from Ohio, and a, fan, a bunch of our sister churches in the city are going to work with him because God has given him a mission impossible, a mission to plant. He is, he's, he's, a, um, he's a Hispanic American, fluent in Spanish, fluent in English. If you know anything about the demographics of Orlando, you know that, that we are just booming we are a multicultural city. We are booming in the Hispanic population, especially in Hunters Creek and Kissimmee, and there is a huge need for a multicultural church, a Spanish-American church, a, a, a Latin church in that part of the city. And so God has given Heath and his wife Emily this assignment to go and plant a new church there that does not yet exist, and they gotta trust God for resources and people and all kinds of things, and he could be just like Moses and say, who am I? Molly, when, whenever Molly thinks about, uh, you know, some of these, these, we feel for this young couple, he's 33 years old, and if Molly were to talk to the wife, she might say, this is what she sometimes says, she'll say, don't plant a new church. And I'm like, honey, do not say that to them. You're not supposed to say that to people because God called them. And then she says, don't plant a new church unless God calls you to do it. Molly says that for a very good reason. It's hard. It's risky. It's risky on everybody. It's challenging. And we live in this consumer culture. Who's going to want to serve? Who's going to want to give? Who's going to want to trust God? And you just feel for these people. But the message to Heath, 
that we're gonna give him tomorrow is the Lord is with you. That is the only answer, he is with you. Next week, Lake Baldwin Church, this church will be electing four more people to join our deacon team. Three deacons, one deaconess. We introduced them last week. They're in your weekly update on Fridays, pictures and everything. And next week, during community life, we're gonna, we're gonna vote for them. They're gonna take on challenges in our church. They're stepping out in faith. They're taking a risk. Some of them might say, I've had hard times in the past. I feel inadequate. I don't know about the future. And we're gonna say the Lord is with you. And the way we're gonna do that as a church is we're gonna lay hands on him, on them, which represents the power of the Holy Spirit with them. I'm so thankful for another person in our church. Bruce Wilson has just become the leader of our global missions team. What I love about Bruce Wilson, a lot of you don't know him. He and his wife, Becky, have been missionaries in Indonesia. He was the uh, pastor of the missions team at a church in Wheaton, Illinois, and God has brought him here. And what I love about Bruce is that he, with the global missions team, wants to lead our church in a post-COVID era of global missions. We have a lot of connections in this church with that, and I'm so thankful for Bruce. Why? Because he could say, there are hard things about this. I don't know how it's gonna do. The people won't listen to me. Are we really going to achieve this? And we would say to Bruce, Bruce, we're praying for you. The Lord is with you, and we support you. The same thing happened to Heather, taking the splash job years ago. She had all sorts of reasons to not do it, but we would say, the Lord is with you. And it's not just Moses that he's with, it is with us because in John 14, the disciples were getting all worried about the fact that Jesus says, I'm going back to the Father. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who is alongside you. I am with you. Have any of you ever gone paragliding? You know what paragliding is? Kind of like parasailing, except what it is is you jump off a mountain and you have this parachute above you and you're way above the town. You're just jump, st stepping off the edge of a mountain and you're paragliding. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to do that, to go up to a really high mountain and jump off that mountain and paragliding. You go, Mike, you're amazing. How did you do that? How bold. You were just like, Mike, you rock that you did that. Well, not exactly. Because there was a trainer, and what I was so nervous, you guys. I wouldn't believe it. But there was a, there was a guy that I was with who was this expert, and so there was this, all this stuff that I got hooked up to this guy, and we were bound together, and so he said, he said to me these words, he says, Mike, just start walking. Just walk off the mountain. I'm gonna do that? I'm gonna jump off the mountain? Yeah, just, Mike, just keep walking. Just keep jumping off the mountain. And sure enough, I jumped off the mountain, but I went down and I was flying around. We've got the GoPro and everything. I was flying around above this big town doing all these different things because it was in tandem. <clears throat> I was not alone. It's like that guide was saying, Mike, I am with you. Go ahead and jump off that mountain. Now, some of you, some of you 
are reluctant servants of God. Some of you have an opportunity to take a risk, and my encouragement to you is to take a step outside your comfort zone. Why? Because what God does is he chooses to use people. He will use you. You will discover things about God that you've never seen before because you took a step of faith, just like jumping off that mountain. The Lord is with you. One more thing we learn about God from this passage. He is above you. He is with you. But I want to I give you some good news right now. I want to give you some gospel good news, and that is that he is for you. He is for you. Romans 8, 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, what's that passage about in Romans 8? Well, the context is persecution. You talk about threats to the church, and Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, in the midst of persecution, God is for you, and I want all of you to listen to what I'm about to say. We sometimes think, as Americans, as consumers, we have a deep-seated health and wealth theology in our hearts, but when, it, when the Bible says God is for you, it is not the absence of suffering. It is not the absence of loss. It is not the absence of hardship, but it is the way through it. It is the way through it. You are going through hard times. It does not mean that God is not for you. He is, he is for you, and he is, the reason we know that is because of the gospel, Romans 8.31, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know it because of our salvation. He took care of the main thing. And he's bringing us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's bringing us out of slavery to sin and to its penalty into the richness and the riches of salvation. So this Exodus book, this book of Exodus, and why it's so important to all of us, look at what, it's, what God says to Moses in Exodus 3, 16. Look again at these verses. This is where God is saying to Moses, I'm not just above you, I'm not just with you, I am for you, I am for the church, I'm for the people. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you. Now underline that word observed, I have observed you. In the book of Ruth chapter one and in other places, the word is I have visited you. It is God's special favor for his covenant people. He is the covenant God. I have observed you and I have visited you. Mark McKinney, this song, this hymn, Love Divine, or, that we sang, in the first verse it says, pure unbounded love thou art, visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. That is the visitation. That is the presence of God, that is the power of God, that if you're a Christian, you've experienced that in your salvation, you know that he's with you. So he says, in, back in verse 16, I've observed you, what has been done to you in Egypt, and I, I promise, look at these words, I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt, I promise I will bring you out of COVID, I promise that I will bring you out of sin, I promise that I will bring you out of brokenness, I will save you in this world. I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Allison, great job pronouncing all those. And he says, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
You see, a lot of people think the Christian life is what, the stuff you don't get to do. That is wrong. The Christian life is the stuff you get to do. It is the land flowing with milk and honey. God is, bring, God is bringing you to that. Romans 6, 11 says, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He is for you. The land flowing with milk and with honey. What a great God we serve. What an amazing God. Don't Leave God out of the picture in your life. And I close with a couple of thoughts. Some of you have heard of Martin Luther. He was married. His wife's name was Katie. Martin Luther, as great of a hero as he was in church history, the leader of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther just had so many challenges in his life, and he would really struggle. So one time, his wife, Katie, appeared to him in this black dress. And a black dress meant that somebody had died. So Martin looked at Katie and said, hey, you've got that black, black dress on. Who died? She says, well, God did. The way you're acting, God must have died. You know? And I thought, what a great, what a great wife she was, <clears throat> telling him the way you're acting, God must have died. Because you were leaving God out of the picture. I love those stories about Martin Luther and, and Katie Luther. Some of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom loved these old stories. During World War II, she, lived, she was in a Dutch family in the Netherlands during the Nazi occupation. Her dad was a watchmaker, and during the Nazi occupation, they had this hiding place where they would hide Jewish people from the Nazis and from the Holocaust, and they would rescue all these people. Well, towards the end of the war, before the war was over, they were found out, and Corey Ten Boom was taken into prison and ended up at the, at, at the concentration camp. And it was Corey Ten Boom who said these words. I want all of you to remember these words. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Now, a lot of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom, but a lot of us have never heard of her sister, Betsy Ten Boom. Betsy lost her life in that same concentration camp. She died at the age of 59. And these are amazing words that before she died, she said to her sister, Corey, listen to these words. She says, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. You guys, do you believe that God is above you, that he's in control, he's sovereign? Do you believe that God is with you as you step out in faith? And do you, even in hard times, believe that God is for you? That is the message of Exodus 3. That is the message of the Bible. Let's not leave God out of the picture, would you pray with me? Lord, how much we all need this teaching of Scripture, the great, the great I am. We praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself said in John 8, before Abraham was born, I am. And we praise you for the name of Jesus this morning. 
Enable us, open up our hearts to believe that you are above us and with us and for us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.